Lauren Elder was the sole survivor of a plane crash at 12,000 feet in the icy cliffs of the High Sierras. Lauren had said that she could see the San Joaquin Valley in California below her, but she only survived by concentrating on the next task, getting to the next rock, handling what was within her power to deal with, rather than thinking about reaching ultimate safety. Lauren had a broken arm. She had two-inch high heels. Her only garments were a flimsy dress, and she made it. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast, coming to connect with you in a very curious, unprecedented time in human history. And that story of Lauren was drawn from a very fascinating book written by Lawrence Gonzalez called Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why? Lawrence Gonzalez is a fascinating adventurer and researcher, and he looked into survival situations, horrific accounts of being lost at sea or lost in the wilderness. And there were interesting patterns that came out of who lived to tell the story, who died, and what set them apart. And what set them apart was far more interesting than one might first be led to believe on the surface. It wasn't physical ability at all. And sometimes it wasn't even tacit knowledge about survival, but there were other things deep at work in the soul that made a distinction between the types of people that survive in terrible situations and people that do not. Friends, we are in a unique time in history that has much to do with survival. And here's what I mean by that. We are made for the abundant life. We are made to thrive, to know in our body, soul, and spirit what it means to be alive and well and connected with ourself and with others and with a greater story. But the abundant life begins with survival. I wrote about this in Becoming a King, and I'm really excited to share that with you. But as I've tracked the stories of those that have gone before us, one of the patterns that I noticed is that in order for a person to thrive, they must first survive. That may sound basic, but it's essential in ordering our days and our decades to make conscious shifts and decisions on how it is that we engage in survival in the short term, believing that survival over time actually leads us to thriving. Thriving in a way that transcends any and every circumstance. That's what's modeled by the people of the kingdom of God in our scriptures. And that's what's made available to us here and now by the power of God. And so I want to begin uh, two things today. First, offer an idea from this book 
deep survival and surviving survival. And then I want to offer 10 ideas, 10 suggestions, 10 points of orientation that we might consider on our map as we navigate these times. I've spent a lot of time in these last weeks with friends and allies. I've grieved with them and prayed with them and strategized with them and reacting to so much change and stepping back and trying to gain perspective. And I just distilled down my thoughts to 10 ideas that I wanted to share in this podcast. Lawrence Gonzalez in Surviving Survival talks about this. He says that survival against all odds when most don't make it, perhaps being lost at sea or in a catastrophe, an attack or a pandemic of unprecedented nature. When we talk about survival, it's often determined on a deep belief a person finds in themselves about the world and about themselves. It's not physical ability. It's something far deeper. And what he said was there's a pattern that emerged in people that survived situations that felt unsurvivable. And the first was that they admitted they were in trouble and they accepted it rather than denied it. And that may sound simple, but what's interesting, what he's found is young children have a capacity to survive, whereas teenage children are the most likely not to survive a survival situation because young children have the ability to not go to shame as readily. And this becomes their new normal. They're lost in the woods. They're alone and they're cold. So they try to get warm. They're hungry so they try to eat something. And it turns out that's a powerful force to say, this is my situation, I am in trouble. And here's the key, it's to consent to it without defeat. So often, so much of our scrambling and our reaction to changing circumstances is our inability to consent to this is our new normal. Whatever happened in the past, we have to loosen our grip on. And whatever may happen in the future, we have to loosen our grip in, but this is our new, new normal. Can we consent to it without defeat? And then what happens is that we begin to act. It's at this place when we admit, I am in trouble, this is my new normal. I must act, I must do something. And friends, the hope is that when you are alive, you can always do something. You always have power so long as you have breath to do something. Gonzalez talks about if we freeze, we're doomed. If we panic, we're doomed. But what we can do is channel that energy, channel the energy of fear, channel the energy of panic into action for the good. And so what does it look like to admit I'm in trouble? This is my new normal, to act, to do something, and then to break down this larger, overwhelming reality into small, simple tasks. So often in a survival situation, we simply get overwhelmed at the burden of it all. I remember being lost in the woods. This is very familiar in my early days of hunting. And just the fear, the fear of we ran through all of our food, 
We ran through all of our water. We became totally disoriented. And I was overwhelmed at the sense of the number of miles we would have to track if we went in the wrong direction to find civilization. Overwhelmed at the shame of being the guy that got lost. But what Gonzalez suggests that set people apart that survive is they take this larger, overwhelming reality and begin to break it down into um, manageable, bite-sized pieces. The next piece is very fascinating where he suggests we do it for someone or something larger. After my situation of getting lost and being very afraid in the wilderness years ago, it was my chance to engage in the process of initiation, become trained in survival. And I took this amazing class from Peter Kummerfeld, a world-renowned survival specialist. And I learned the ways of survival where it comes down fundamentally to four things. It's fire, hydration, shelter, and signaling. And there are many ways to break that down, but fundamentally those were the four categories but what's interesting is Peter taught us in our survival kit that addressed those four things. One of the most important things, if not the most important thing, was to put a picture of our family or a picture of someone we loved and someone we mattered to. And he said, even with two broken legs and a broken arm and being starving, if you have a picture that you can hold in your heart or even in your hand, of someone or something larger, it will help you transcend your present danger and your present trial and live for a greater energy tapping into a supernatural power that's beyond yourself. And finally, what Gonzalez offers in this brilliant book is to forget about rescue. He said so often people that die, they are absolutely fixated on rescue. And so they don't do what's in their power in this moment to stay alive. So for example, people have just been found um, very consistently in wilderness situations naked with a smashed compass. What's fascinating is when you go through the stages of hypothermia, at one stage, the body goes from shivering, which is a natural reaction for the body to self-generate heat, it goes through that to being in a state where it actually feels warm and even hot. And people will find themselves taking all of their clothes off because they feel so hot. And the stories of people being found with a smashed compass because they were so convinced of a reality different than where they found themselves. They were so convinced their compass was lying. They actually smashed their compasses with rocks and then they just kept walking. And instead of staying put and being found and staying alive, they walked to their death. You know, in the state of Colorado, all the survival training suggests that in 48 hours, there is a high probability that a lost person will be found about anywhere in our terrain. And so the idea isn't to self-rescue when you are totally lost, but instead it's to stay alive and stay in one place, utilizing your skills of fire, hydration, shelter, and signaling to simply change death to discomfort, believing that in about 48 hours or less, God willing, you will be rescued. And so to forget about rescue and embrace this as our new normal, rescue becomes a welcomed 
interruption. And friends, I feel like in some ways, this is a mythic kind of instruction for our souls as we wonder about navigating this unprecedented time. And the nature of something unprecedented is it's simply off the map. None of us truly know. And the best suggestions about health, listening to the medical doctors and fascinating podcasts, they still don't know about COVID-19 and what's going to happen fully. The best suggestions on the economics of this and what's going to happen to the market, the speculation runs rampant. At the end of the day, nobody knows and no one can time a market. But what we can do is sink in and admit we find ourselves in a very unique time that God is fully capable of handling, that this is our new normal, that we can act and do something. We can analyze and break down channeling our energy perhaps a fear, panic, or concern into something uh, positive and centered in what's true and good and available to us now and beautiful. We can do it for a larger story, for someone and something beyond ourselves. And in time and over time, this trial will pass and there will be a rescue. But until then, we can live in a way where we look back And we can look in this season with no regrets. What if we became the kind of person that said we walked with God, we look back and we have no regrets. We walked with God. We are more whole because of the season. We have come into a deeper place of union with God because of these trials. We know something about ourselves and about God that we didn't know before. Because what Gonzalez says that I really appreciate in his book He says, survival experiences are an incomparable gift because they really reveal who we really are. It takes a shaking for us to see that which we put our hope and our confidence and our trust in that can be shaken. And it takes a shaking to come to see that which cannot be shaken in our lives. And it would do us all well to take a fresh inventory of where we have put our trust and our hope and our promise for life. And what of that is in things that can be shaken? And what of that is things that can be unshaken and are unshakable? So friends, with that as an introduction, I want to briefly go through 10 categories, 10 data points that I think are really helping me as I've just journaled and oriented my days that as I've walked with allies in places of influence that are shaping churches and kingdoms and businesses and schools and communities in these days, these are things that are coming to alignment and things in which people are orienting themselves around that we're all finding very helpful. And I hope that you will find them helpful in your world. Number one, there is a holy tension between these two truths. Everything has changed and nothing has changed. I think the temptation is to get stuck somewhere in between um, or in one camp or the other, rather than holding these two truths together in a holy tension, allowing God to validate the truth of these two things. Everything has changed. I think of overnight, we're homeschooling our kids, and overnight, 
everything's done for the year. Uh, by God's grace, we don't have seniors in school. We have a freshman and a middle schooler. But Joshua had just made you know the lacrosse team. And as a freshman, one of three kids and won a starting position, he was on the eve of his first game. And it was all over in a blink. Everything has changed in how we communicate and how we do work. And innovation may come from that, but first is simply the sobriety of it's all changed. And yet nothing has changed. What hasn't changed is the nature of our relationships that matter most. What hasn't changed is we can be more connected with people than ever before on the globe. What hasn't changed is we have work to do and we are meant to be found at our post doing the work of God's kingdom. What hasn't changed is where our hope is rooted. And what hasn't changed is who is in charge and what is available to us. And so I think it's important to just pause and take an assessment. What has changed and what hasn't changed? It will do your heart well to allow both of those categories to be validated. And number two, as it flows from that, Friends, it is so important to grieve. One of the practices of a soulful life is engaging in regular episodes of grieving loss. And I think here's one of the struggles with this age, with COVID-19, is we can easily minimize very genuine griefs in our life because someone else that we see, either in our story or in the media, has it far worse. And so I can sit here and think about my son losing lacrosse for the year and just minimize that and even shame myself for being sad over that when I think about the devastation economically for organizations and ministries that have already closed their doors, businesses that have already closed their doors and are staring down the barrel of bankruptcy. But friends, it doesn't do others well. It doesn't grow our capacity for empathy for others to not have empathy towards ourselves. It does not help us grieve for the losses of others by not grieving our own losses. And so what I wanna name courageously is that we all have personal griefs in this story, and we all have communal grieves. The personal grieves may feel small or may feel overwhelming, but regardless, they are yours to grieve. What have you done with your heart as it relates to grieving what you've lost? And then on a communal level, our community takes different forms. You know, we had this very beautiful trip planned for two weeks from now with some dear friends, and that's been canceled. There's a communal grief that's very intimate in our close circle. We've lost just connection in physical ways of things that we were planning on doing with people in our school and in our sports teams. And then there's the corporate grief of what's happening in our nation. And then on our globe, it is important to grieve those things and not minimize them. And the grief allows us to empathize in our own story so that we can increase our capacity to empathize for others. And as good-hearted men and women who are entrusted with much, it's important to pause and do an inventory. How well have you grieved the losses, not just named them, but felt the sorrow of the loss and then invited God into those griefs? 
The third thing that I would suggest that's so fundamental to the human soul is doing what's ever in your power to be outside in as many different expressions as possible. One of the graces for the Northern Hemisphere is that we are entering spring into summer and there are more and more opportunities to be outside. But technology actually affords us the opportunity to be outside. I've been taking more conference calls every day and more Zoom calls walking around my neighborhood. I've had some short runs out in the snow that I wouldn't have normally done, but I found myself trying to be outside multiple times because the challenge is when we are in the space of being at home and being on screens and being engaged with computers and social media and mobile devices, that does something to the soul. There's an antidote of the kingdom of God that only comes through real things, through tactile things, through sensory experiences with the natural and the real. And so how regularly are you getting outside and how can you convert what, what, what were inside experiences and do it outside to even put something on the grill instead of baking in the oven, just as a chance to step outside for a bit to get some fresh breath. And related to that, the fourth thing that I would offer is it is very important to limit your screen time. We are doing now almost all of our connecting and our socializing on screens and that's valid and it can be very authentic and it can be very life-giving and friends it's still a screen it was very interesting the first couple weeks of this covid time of how many men i talked to who said they were the most exhausting work weeks that they could remember in recent years and part of it was just reacting with the stress of it but the other was this entire movement of life onto a screen. And so the first week I was so guilty of this. I spent hours and hours on Zoom calls. Much of it was doing great things and praying with people and strategizing and coming up with um, helpful tools and ways to triage situations and be a part of the good in the land. But it was exhausting because of the screen time. And so now a couple of weeks into it, we've stepped back and I've paused and said, how can I limit my time? And so how can you build your schedule in a way that limits your screen time? The fifth I would suggest is notice your response to the situation. Notice how you respond as you get new pieces of news and new pieces of data of the kids' schools being shut down, colleges closing, businesses not being able to function anymore and letting go of staff, the relief packages that come through the mail, changes in the stock market. How do you react? And what I wanna suggest is before you go to judgment of yourself or even other people, let it be data. It's not often that we get a fresh vantage into our soul to see things that are often cloaked. And it will do us well to use the response that comes up as data to become aware of ways that our kingdoms and that which has been entrusted to our care has uh, become propped up, that it has overextended the boundaries of our maturity, that we've taken on we've taken on too much or too many, that we need a healthy 
pruning, or that some deeper beliefs below our trust in God, there are actually pockets of places of fear, pockets of places of anger or of entitlement or of banking on life coming through us through means that are simply arranging for a small story of comfort or security. Notice the data. What can you learn about your soul by its reaction to circumstances? I can tell you for me, in full disclosure, one of the personal griefs that surfaced that I had to check as a data point So I've spent the last 20 years investing in the release of this new suite of resources, Becoming a King, as a book and a custom audio book and a video series and study guide, all set to launch May 26. I've poured 20 years into these resources, and it's shaping up as possibly the very worst week in modern history to bring these sort of resources to the market. And I could feel a certain level of defeat and anger rise up. And as I prayed through it, I got to a place of confidence that actually this is the greatest hour for this message. This is exactly what's needed. And this is the time there is actually an increased attentiveness to the things of the soul and curiosity and pain that this can speak to. And so my heart's in a really great place now, and I'm very confident in God's timing. But the data that I had to tune into was a belief that I had walked with God faithfully for years, and he had provided supernaturally in this path of becoming to shape who I am and entrust me with this message. And then I totally agree with his abandonment of me at the 11th hour, that we're 99 yards down the line and we're ready to put the ball in the end zone and God abandons me. And I had to look at that abandonment and what surfaced through the abandonment I was feeling was this young place that was kind of the age of a teenager in me that still felt that the only good things in my life are things that I work my ass off for. And if I don't work hard with all my energy, it won't happen. And that's simply not true about the kingdom of God. That's not true about a generous father. And that's not the man I want to be. And it took those circumstances and paying attention to the data to become aware of what God was surfacing in my heart. And so what is the data? Number six, what is the unique opportunity? Had a morning devotion with my kids this morning. We are used the videos from the Bible Project, which are just phenomenal on-roads to um, themes of the gospel life that are so good to share as a family. I put on the refrigerator two weeks ago for such a time as this, and I put the graph of the COVID-19 pandemic and the idea of lowering the curve. And so I wanted to frame for the family, this is why you can't see your friends. This is why lacrosse has been canceled. This is why track is over. We're doing this for a greater good. We're trying to lower the curve. And Abigail said to me, dad, for such a time as this, what does that mean? And I realized my kids were not familiar with the book of Esther at all. And it's a very powerful, fascinating story that has so many implications for this hour. And so 
We did a morning devotional this morning. Now, friends, we live in the suburban life where we go four different directions with four different people on most of our mornings. And one thing we don't have the privilege and the joy to do is a morning time where we all connect together. So normally Sherry or I drive the kids to school and we get to pray with them and connect with them. But in our schedule at this stage of life, we don't have that. And now because of Corona, we are able to begin every day as a family, and it's such a brilliant opportunity. We played family volleyball last night at the park, just Joshua, Abigail, Sherry and I, and it was hilarious. And Sherry and I were so tired from the day and we were not playing well and the kids are laughing at us. We've only done that one other time. We'll play volleyball with the kids and their friends. We'll organize an event for their activity, but it's rare. It was only the second time we ever played as a family. But we had this window and it was after dinner, which we had together because we didn't have all the sports activities and we already got our school done online that morning. We're now homeschoolers overnight. And so we took a walk to the park and these opportunities are coming up left and right that are utterly unique to this time. But what's so important is King's and queens in the kingdom is to tune into them. Ask the spirit to show you what is the unique opportunity that's available in the season. And then what is the unique provision that God has for this? This would be number seven. I believe that every problem has a possibility. And with every possibility, we are given a unique provision in our age and in every season of life. And so there are these unique provisions. Sherry teaches at a couple different venues. She teaches a class for some women in our home every Monday that's a a movement and meditation class that's just beautiful. And she's invested a lot in these women and it's become a lifeline for them. And yesterday morning, she taught her first Zoom version of that. And she's able to offer it free uh, this month just as a generous gift to help families out. And it was just a joy to watch her bring that life into their homes and watch their kids run around. And she also teaches at this uh, Mary's Home, wonderful ministry in town that focuses on helping young single moms that have very little resource to avoid homelessness or step out of homelessness with their kids and get on their feet and become discipled and learn basic life skills of cooking and and managing their finances and owning a car and keeping a job. And she teaches there and she taught her first class online this morning and the, the attendees, the participants, they wanted to see her family. So she yelled through the house and gathered us all on and we jumped on the screen. And there was just this king excitement of them getting to see the behind the scenes of their teacher in her real life situation. There is this provision that Zoom is providing as an online tool for gathering. And I could go on with so many other provisions, but it's very important to pause and list it out. What are the provisions that God's uniquely bringing in this hour that you can celebrate and you can seize the day? Again, it's it's taking something that's overwhelming, that's abstract and large and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces that are measurable and accessible. The eighth one I would name is a time of generosity. I would suggest that this is a season of generosity. Now, let me be fair and let me also acknowledge, I feel the fear. I feel the financial loss. I feel the panic. 
I feel the devastation. I feel the accusation. I feel the temptation to hold back. But friends, as heirs of the kingdom, the scripture says in Galatians that we who are the sons and daughters of God have the full access to the entire inheritance of the kingdom. We are the wealthy ones. We have been entrusted with much and been given much, and it's for the benefit of others. And so what I would urge you to do is to sink into the place where you can land in the abundant generosity of God, that you can practice the exercise of becoming the person who has no lack. Dallas Willard wrote a beautiful book on Psalm 23 that's called Life Without Lack, and his his premise is that we are the wealthy ones, that we have abundance. And as we consent to the kingdom, more and more is given to us as courage replaces fear. We are the sons and daughters of God and he is pouring out abundance. And part of the act of heroism in that is to act like it, even when we don't feel it. And so what I wanna suggest as the world's pulling in tighter and the world is saying, save yourself and don't risk, I want to invite you to stand with us and choose generosity. Where and how would God ask you to offer your time, your finances, your emotional resources, your prayers, in particularity. I'm not saying across the board. I'm saying as stewards, you have a call. You have assignments afforded to you. And it flows out of sinking into this deepening belief and confidence that God is generous and he is pouring out abundance in the spiritual realm for us. My final charge for this time for you to consider along with me, Sherry and I were sitting on the couch in our just triage time in the first couple days of this, of trying to assess what's happening and all the schedule changing and reacting to things being first limited and then being lost. And I said, Sherry, what's your counsel? And she said, Morg, more than anything, I want an upgrade in listening to God. I want to upgrade into attentiveness. And friends, that has been the mantra of our house. God, would you increase our capacity to listen, to hear? You have our attention. God has the attention around the globe in some ways more than there has been in a long time. But first and foremost, we'll begin with God having our attention in that attentiveness, in that practicing listening to God, practicing asking him questions, practicing responding quickly and deeply to his leading, putting to death our agenda and taking up his agenda. What I want to invite you to consider is be real stewards of intentionality of your schedule because we are at home, it can all blend really quickly into one just mess. And one of the things we've learned in our house, we are now trying to schedule our time pretty aggressively. And that's not normally the kind of culture around our home. We try to make it pretty playful and pretty loose because we have so much activity outside of our house. But now that we're all under one roof 24 seven, we've pulled out a whiteboard and we've made it our family schedule. And we write it on each day with the idea of we are telling our time where to go. We're breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. 
And we are starting it with, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are my orders? What do you have for me? And so friends, in summary for today, there is no map. This is unprecedented. We don't know what to do. Everything's changed. And also, nothing has changed. We are the sons and daughters of God. The scripture says those that belong to God hear God's voice. God is active and alive and is very interested in shepherding your heart and shepherding your family through these particular days. He has a unique opportunity and a unique provision, and he's waiting with bated breath for you to turn to him even more with curiosity and ask for his guidance in his ways. So I wanna stand with you in prayer as you shape communities and schools and families and lives around the ways of the kingdom more and more in these days. Jesus, you say in the book of Galatians that this is your counsel to live animated and motivated by God's spirit. And friends, I wanna pause on that. What would it be like to be animated and motivated by nothing other than the spirit of God? God, we are asking for that. We're asking for an upgrade. We're asking for an increase. We're asking that you would animate our body, soul, and spirit, our heart, mind, and will. You would animate the fabric of our lives and our days with your spirit. We ask that our motives would be aligned with the motives of you, God, and your kingdom. God, we ask that we would lean into you, Father, for your vast provision, your abundant generosity. We ask, God, that we could lean more deeply into the mothering that we need of compassion and mercy and nurture and soothing and food that satisfies and truly lasts. We're asking God that we can lean into the power of the resurrected Christ that transcends the grave, that makes the impossible possible, that infuses us with a power that's unstoppable, a power that transcends circumstances and allows us to live by moment and by day triumphantly in a way that holds to hope, holds to promise, and holds to belief that there are things that cannot be shaken. Holy Spirit, you are our guide. And so we give you permission to dismantle the things that are not serving us in these days, that are being exposed as propped up in our kingdom. We give you permission to prune that which needs prune. God, we want to live by your spirit, not to be fed by compulsions or reaction not to be rooted in self-interest or self-sufficiency, but God, to be filled and fueled by you, to choose the life of the Spirit. God, to receive your affection, your exuberance, your peace that surpasses all understanding. The scripture says that you can cultivate in us a willingness to stick with things, And God, we need the persevering strength of the kingdom in these hours. 
and in every hour to stick with things with a sense of compassion in our heart and conviction that you are at the center of the story, that you hold it all together. God, we entrust everything and everyone to you. We choose not to carry anyone and anything, but instead we choose to carry this message of hope deep within our soul, God, that you are with us, that you have numbered our days and our decades, that our boundary lines are established in pleasant places. Increase our attentiveness. Show us what you have in this hour. For such a time as this, we are yours. And for such a time as this, you have come. We choose to trust and hope. And friends, in closing, I want to encourage you that we are working hard and fast at Ransom Heart and in our community to offer life-giving opportunities for all of you to fuel you in every way in these particular hours. We'll be starting this awesome live Zoom group that we'll be hosting weekly, and John will be kicking it off and walking us through, and then Stacy uh, week after week for three weeks in a row of some different Ransom Heart resources, not only modeling how you can do a real-time Zoom groups through some of our studies, but also simply just making that hour slot, a lunchtime slot in America, different time zones, UK, it would be evening, but once a week to just offer strengthening for you. We'll be following up those three weeks and I'm actually going to lead um, anyone in the larger community of Become Good Soil, Ransom Heart, our podcasting community subscribers through the Becoming a King video series. And so once a week for an hour, we'll be opening up that live on Zoom and I'll walk through all six sessions by video and be hosting Zoom groups where we'll break people off into smaller groups of probably about five and get to dialogue on questions and pray together and dive into the content of becoming a king. And all that will be brought to you exclusively before it's released to the world on May 26th. So that will be coming up. And Sherry's going to be offering a first time ever gift for you and spouses uh, from our little basement here in Colorado, Thursday, April 9th at noon, Mountain Time. She's going to offer a 30 minute class of uh, mindfulness, movement, and meditation. So it's what you can do in your power right there in your home. All you need is a little space. If you have an exercise mat, you can pull it out. If not, no problem. Just find a comfortable area and you can open up your computer or your phone, turn it to Zoom, and you'll be connected with many people around the globe for 30 minutes with Sherry and I. So you can find that and any other related pieces from this podcast on becomegoodsoil.com forward slash corona. So there you go. That'll be the jump page or COVID-19. I'll have both of those jump links go to this page. So there'll be a Zoom link for that gathering uh, this coming Monday. And you'll find out about those gatherings for Zoom from Ransom Heart uh, through all of our channels. We'll be emailing people and posting them and sending that out in this week, announcing it in every one of our channels to hope that you can join us. Friends, all that to say is there's more coming from us. We love you. We support you and we stand with you in this hour and we choose to stay in hope. Thanks for joining us.